Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. And God, as we're here today, um, hearing from you, singing to you, we, we feel our, our souls just torn back and forth. And God, we have so much to thank you for. <laughs> God, like, like, Jesus is more than anything we could ever exhaust in our thankfulness. And if he weren't enough, you've given us so much more. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the assurance of heaven. You've given us joy in sorrows. You've given us strength in our week. And the list goes on and on and on. Thank you, oh God. And Lord, we feel sad, though. We've missed family members this Thanksgiving. Lord, we know that some people who are listening right now experienced their first Thanksgiving without a loved one who's passed away in the last 12 months. We have some who are looking at the prospects of Christmas and feeling just as downcast. And, and Lord, with these conflicting pains we feel, we just come to you and say, Lord, be our comforter, be our helper, O oh Lord. My God, I ask, God, that you would just pour out your spirit upon us in a special way this afternoon. And Lord, I pray that in your kindness that our ears would be the kind of ears that hear and give us eyes to see. Search us, O oh God, know our hearts, Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, earlier this year, I was hanging out with a friend of ours, this is pre-COVID, uh, a friend of ours from the brook, and he was telling me about that great fighter we're all so familiar with, Bruce Lee. And he said, have you seen Bruce Lee's one-inch punch? And I was like, never heard of it. He's like, really? He started explaining it to me. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm, I'm following you. He's like, you know what? Let me, let me find a video on YouTube. I'm going to show you. So this friend of ours pulled up the video, and he showed me Bruce Lee's famous one-inch punch. This is how it all went down. In 1964, there was a karate championship in California, and Bruce Lee was there, and he wanted to demonstrate this particular punch he had mastered. Now, he wasn't going to do it in a competition, but he wanted to do it to show other people the kind of punch he learned. And what it is, is this. He was stood this far from his opponent with his hand outstretched, literally his hand one inch away from his opponent's chest. The person that was demonstrating this with him was a man by the name of Joe Lewis, who was the heavyweight karate champion of the world at that time. This guy was no slouch. And so, of course, Bruce Lee picks this real fit, strong guy to demonstrate this. So Joe Lewis is standing there, kind of flexed and ready, Bruce Lee stands arm's length apart and then a hand one inch away. And then suddenly, like in a split second, Bruce Lee's fist clenches and just jabs Joe Lewis. And he jabs him with so much force, Joe Lewis was thrown backwards, lands in a chair behind him, and the chair slides a couple feet. And everyone's looking like, what? And this is Bruce Lee's famous one-inch punch. And what Bruce Lee did was he caused his body to constrict, causing this force that exerted so much force upon impact that it threw this great fighter. You know, when I think about that, I saw that, I was like, man, that is crazy how so much power could be packed into something so small. Today, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Romans, which is just like that one-inch punch, y'all. It is packed 
with power and force, the kind of force that meets us in the midst of our greatest of hardships and brings us comfort, church. It is God's kind of one-inch punch of comfort directed towards you. It is jam-packed with so much help and hope. It is theology that brings us comfort, y'all. And so if you can, would you join with me here in person or online in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 26 to 30. We're going to take a look at this one-inch punch, y'all. I'm going to be preaching from verses 28 to 30, but we'll back up and read from 26 forward. I want you to take a look with me what this punch is like. So if you can, please, would you stand with me as I read from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here's our main passage today. And we know, can you say we know? know. And we know that for those who love God, all things, can you say that with me? All things, all things things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. This is God's word. You may be seated. The passage was read so well for us just a moment ago by Sandra, and I read it again because what I wanted to do is to allow God to kind of till the soil of your heart because he's about to sow some seeds right now. And we pray these seeds would take root in your soul and that its roots would stretch out to comfort your uh, most difficult of hurts and struggles right now. Today we're going to look at this fact that God works together all things for good for those who love him. You see, the reality is all of us are going to face hardship. We know what it's like. We've been through it this year. You've been through it in previous years. And the children of God, as we find in the book of Romans and even in this chapter, like we live between kind of two worlds. We live between the already and the not yet, right? Like you've already been rescued from your sin, amen? But you haven't quite yet fully you know, lived without sin. It's still, it's still not realized. It's not, it's not yet. Like, we know that Jesus suffered to take our sin and give us victory, and we have victory, but we also have our losses because the already is not quite still the the not yet. We live somewhere between broken and bliss, don't we? Somewhere between pain and paradise, somewhere between hurt and hope. And as we live in this tension, we are all facing, going to face, struggles of various kinds. And these struggles, man, they weigh on us. They weigh us down. And today's passage says that God works all things together for good. But I want you to understand this. It's not like taking a pill. 
It's being like, oh, man, you're going through some hard times. Hey, take two Romans 8.28s, and you'll be good in the morning, y'all. Like, like God's word doesn't work that way because it's, it's meant to, 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 to uh, cause us to think and understand what is being said. Don't just recite a verse and think everything's going to be better. In fact, the right truth at the wrong time or the right truth in the wrong way could actually be hurtful. Today, we're going to look at the fact that God does work it out, but maybe not in ways we understand. And I say this, man, and I want you all to hear me. I don't know the struggles that all of you all have gone through. As, as a leadership, we've got a chance and the privilege to walk with so many of you who are here, who are watching. And we know many of your hurts and heartaches, but I know we don't know them all. So when we say that God works all things together for good, I pray that today you won't hear me say that in such a way that makes you feel like God wants to undermine or diminish the very real pains you've gone through or are going through. So when you hear these words, don't hear them as Eric speaking them as much as you hear them as truths from God himself. Because I don't know your pain, but God does know your pain. And the truth that we preach, that I preach today is anchored on what God says and knows and not necessarily what I know and what I say. See, while struggles are pressing in, today we're going to see that God will work it out. Not in such a way that it's lofty and just all, it'll all just get better, but that God is doing something in the midst of our very real struggles in life. And so today we're going to learn about this doctrine that gets us dancing, that gets us moving, that gets us trusting God in a fresh way. It's, it's that one-inch punch. We see here today's passage that comes from Romans 8, that Paul, throughout this book of Romans chapter 8, has been, been reminding us of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here earlier in this chapter, he talks about the suffering and the hardships we go through. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to comfort God's people who are going through some real hard times, the kind of times that you and I go through. For them in particular, some were being persecuted for their faith, like literally facing hardship because they follow Jesus. But then others of them were just going through hardships because they live in a broken and messed up world like you and I live in. The hardships that come when you have chronic pain, right? The hardships that come when you lose a loved one. The hardships of miscarrying a baby. The hardships of being rejected by people you loved. The hardships of abuse, the hardships of struggle, the hardships of all kinds of pains. And again, I say this because I know we've all gone through them. And I don't know your pain as you don't know necessarily all of my pain. But we all know we've gone through and are going through and will go through pain. And Paul is writing the people who are suffering. Suffering, yes, specifically maybe for their faith, but also suffering more broadly because they just lived in a messed up world like you and I do. And what we're going to find out here today is that God has a plan even in that pain. See, the first thing right off the bat, he tells us that God wills that his goodness gets the final word in our pain. Let, let, let that sink in. God wills that his goodness gets the final word. Because look at verse 28. Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I love the way he says it. We know, 
Like he knows this. He has such confidence in the words he is speaking about God working things for good, that God's goodness gets the final. He has so much confidence that he says, we know this. This kind of knowing comes from, yes, understanding and learning, but it also carries the idea of coming to know because you become an acquaintance with something. Paul is writing this as a man who has suffered a lot for his faith in Jesus. And with it, he's also suffered the pains of a broken world, like shipwreck, like hunger, like rejection. But he's able to say, but we know that God's going to work things for good. Like, like, there's no doubt. And as I read that, I was like, man, Brooke, church, family, I want us to be so well acquainted with this truth that God will work things for good for those who love him, that we can say, I know God will do this. That his goodness will get the final word. But he also says that God will do this, but for a specific group of people. It's not like all things for all people will always work for ultimate good. That's not what he's saying here. He narrows the purview of who he's speaking to. Like a scholarship that has certain requirements for someone to attain what the scholarship provides. God's, Paul's saying here, we know that God works good for who? For those who love God. And I find it so cool because as we read our Bibles, we, we do something called biblical theology. What that means is we want to see what the whole Bible has to say about a, a teaching. And when we learn about our loving God, as we read our Bibles, we read in 1 John 4, I think 19 it is, it says, we love because, why? He first loved us. So what we see Paul saying here is that God's going to work all things together for good for those who love God, and you who love God, love God because God first loved you. This is what is going on here. Paul's like, for whom does this apply? For those who can say, I love God. You don't love God? What's wrong with you? Y'all don't know about that song? Sorry about that. But this is the people God wants to hear this. Those who love God. Because those who love God have been loved by God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. Everything. Nothing excluded. I know some of you guys went Black Friday shopping, and when you went out buying some gadget, especially for kids, you'll see this thing on the, on, on the box that typically says something like, batteries not included. And when you see that, you know you got to go get the batteries. A lot of us want good developed in our lives, and we want it to say, suffering not included, hardship not included, struggle not included. But the passage says that God works all things, which includes the struggle, which includes the struggle, the, the, the hardship, the suffering, and all that comes with it. God wants to work all things for good for those who love God. All things will work together. This word work together is where we get our English word synergism. When two things that are separate entities come together and do something better than they would be if they were separate. It makes me think of the, the oxpecker, which is an African bird. You've seen this African bird on the back of a zebra in some nature documentary. You know, when you see zebras and you see these birds standing on their backs, you're like, like you're just getting this joyride, you know, are you paying for this, right? So you see these, these birds just hanging out on their backs. And what you don't realize is actually these birds are doing something for the zebra. 
See, zebras got different kinds of, of, of fleas and mites, and, and these ox peckers come on their backs and eat the bugs off the zebra's back. Now, those mites actually burrow into the zebras, causing them to bleed. So the ox pecker drinks up the blood and cleans out the wound, which no doubt has got to be a painful thing, but the zebra's benefiting from it. And you start thinking, well, what's, what else does the zebra benefit? Because that sounds a little bit like torture. Well, the other thing is this. The ox pecker is a very fidgety kind of bird. So that whenever it senses danger, it begins to shake and scuffle a little bit. It, it begins to, to, to worry. And what that does is it signals to the zebra that danger is on its way. So the ox pecker's notification causes the zebra to go from one location where it shouldn't be to another location where it should be. And in this synergism, this symbiotic kind of relationship, the ox pecker and the zebra work together to benefit one another. Well, in this case, similarly... What works together is God working with our suffering for your good. To take you from one place where God has you to another place where he wants you to go next. And just like the cases of the zebra, that may not always be a pleasant experience, but it is a good one for us. It's something we must go through. It works together for good. Now, what is this good that God promises to work together for us? See, God's not saying that everything that happens to you is a good thing. Don't don't misunderstand what God's word is saying here. Nor is it saying that God is happy about everything that happens to you. In a very real sense, there, there is evil that happens to us. All of us. But what this is saying is that God would not let evil get the last word, but that God's goodness gets the final word. So God will take even what was bad and use it for good. This good is this process that God uh, sanctifies us, where the Bible speaks of us being growing in our holiness. See, as we live between these two worlds, between, between brokenness and bliss, we, we look towards heaven, we look towards paradise, we look towards eternal life with our God. And man, I long for that, church. But here we are broken. But what I do know, according to what we're reading here, is that all things that happen to me here are gradually sanctifying me so I can look more like what I'm going to look like in glory one day. So the processes I go through actually do have a purpose in God's ultimate plan because God won't let evil or hurt get the last word, but his goodness will prevail. And that's what we're learning here. When the struggles are pressing in, God will work it out. He will work out all things together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what is God's purpose? What's God's purpose for you? Well, more specifically, yes, he wants to sanctify you, but he wants to grow you towards something. And we see it here in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, we'll get to these words in a moment, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal. That's the goal that God's going to use even the most difficult things that you and I go through is ultimately to conform us to look more like Jesus and less like the world. God will mold you into looking like Jesus. That's the goal. At our house, we've got a a waffle iron, but it's not no ordinary waffle iron. It's actually shaped like Mickey Mouse, his head. 
And so whenever you mix the waffle batter and you pour it into the waffle iron, the batter begins to spread through. And when you press down, press down the waffle iron and it comes out, the waffle never comes out looking like Snoopy. It never comes out looking like Daffy Duck. It never comes out looking like Grogu. That's a Mandalorian reference. But it comes out looking like Mickey Mouse. Why? Because the mold determines the shape of the batter. In like manner, God's like, look, I'm going to work out good. I'm going to work something in your life. But what I want you to understand is I want you to conform to the mold of my son, Jesus Christ. You don't determine the shape of the mold. You don't determine what it takes to get you into the shape of the mold. But I'm going to work out everything to get you into that mold. Because at the end of the day, I want you to look like my son. And God in his faithfulness will work it out. He will transform us. He will, he will cause us to hate sin and to love righteousness. He will cause us to become quicker to repent when we do sin. He will cause us to be more compassionate and more loving, to look more and more like Jesus. Because God knows what's best for us. And that mold is what we ultimately strive to conform to. And ultimately, God is the one doing it for us. But notice what he's saying is he uses all things to do this. Which means that there is struggle in this. There is pain in this. And you and I, as we face pain, I want us to understand that even in that, God is doing something to mold you into Jesus. It takes some pain for there to be a good nurse. Being a good nurse requires the difficulty of study, doesn't it? The good of being an athlete comes through the difficulty of training. The good of being a musician comes through the difficulty of practice. The good of a great Thanksgiving meal comes through the good, through, through the difficulty of struggling in that kitchen. And I know y'all ate some good meals this weekend. Good comes out of difficulty, and the good of conforming into Jesus comes out of difficulty of living between pain and paradise, church. Now, as I stated, man, I don't know the hurt that you go through, but I do know that God can take the pain and cause something redemptive to come from it. See, God is not a doer of evil, nor is God unjust. God is good. James 1.13 says that God can't be tempted with evil, but evil does happen to us. But God will take it and work it out for his good, church. As, as, I, as I say these things, man, like I know the, these, are, these are big statements, but if you're like me, as I read this, as I studied for this, I kept thinking about scenarios in my mind, of, in my life, and in the lives of you, Brook Church family, of pains that I know you guys have gone through, and things I don't even know about that you know you've gone through. And I, I want to say this. Like, I don't know how God will always work things, but we know that he will for good. He will take those darkest pains and say, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going I'm to mold you. I know for, for me and our family, one of the darkest times that we went through was earlier on in our marriage. Erica and I, uh, we, were, we were at a time in our life, it was in 2006, where we 
we wanted to, to start a family. And so it was our desire at that point. I was almost done with graduate school. We said, let's try, let's try to have a baby. And so for several months, we, we, were, we were praying that God would, would allow Erica to become pregnant. And, and for, se- for several months, that just didn't take place. Until finally, in the spring of 2006, I think it was, might have been 2005 even, uh, Erica got pregnant. And it was an exciting moment for us. It was in May, near Mother's Day, when she was several weeks pregnant, where we began to realize that she was going through a miscarriage. And I remember being at the doctor's office that day when it was all being confirmed. And I remember we just didn't know, we didn't know what to do with that. It was a pain that we were experiencing that we had no answers. And honestly, in our hearts, we're like, Lord God, like, really? Is this, is this, is this what you're going to bring to us? Like, you know the depth of our longing. You know how much we want. And is, is this going to be how our story starts to unfold? And what followed were months of just struggle knowing that God is sovereign and that our pain hurts so bad. And it's crazy because I, I was sharing with the first service, even talking about it still brings up emotion because that's how, that's how pain does, right? We, we can move forward, but the pain still remains. But, you know, over the years, as we, as we look back, man, I, over that time, it's so much confusion. Like, like, I didn't know how to relate to my wife because obviously her body had begun to change, not mine. But I know I had experienced loss and, she experienced a loss, and it was different than the way I experienced it. And there's so much we didn't know how to interact with. But looking back, man, like, this much we know is true, is that God still was at work in our pain. Because during that time, man, we grew together closer than we'd ever been. We learned to trust God in ways we had never learned to trust him. And even to this day, while it doesn't all make sense, I could look back and say, man, God, I know you are good, and even that you worked out to conform us to Jesus. Maybe your pain is something similar or quite different. I know as we've led this church, we've walked with many of you, and over the years of ministry, marriages that have gone through the greatest of betrayals and struggle that God has done miraculous redemption. Others where that hasn't been the case We know other stories of rebellious kids or untimely illnesses and deaths. But we've seen people be able to look back and say, man, I saw God doing something, though, in my deepest pain. Or maybe your pain is something not as deep, or maybe it's still nonetheless difficult. I remember as I was planning to looking into graduate schools, and Erica and I were planning for our future, saying, you know, I know I want to go back to school. I want to become a pastor. I need more training. There was one particular school that I really wanted to go to. But in my mind, I knew we couldn't afford it. So I didn't even look into it, and I didn't even apply for it. Because I'm like, man, I can't afford it, we can't afford it, and we're not going to try that. But then I heard about a full-ride scholarship that this school had. And I was like, man, God, this is it. I'm going to apply for this scholarship. You're going to get me the full ride and get me to the school, and you're going to work it out. So I went ahead and applied for the scholarship, and I applied for the school. I didn't get the scholarship, but I got into the school. And I'm like, God, really, that, that's how you're going to do this? Like, not, so now I'm into the school of my dreams, and I got, we got no way to pay for it. But what God told us and showed us, I should say, was that he wanted us to trust him. He didn't provide a scholarship, but he provided a job, and we had to work. <laughs> yeah. 
But having to work, having to live off of less taught us to trust God in ways we would not have done had we gotten that scholarship. And I don't know what your stories you could think of, but maybe there are some stories where you're like, man, this was bad. It still hurts, but man, I look back and see God's hand totally in it. And I'm sure that there are other stories where you say, I look, it hurts, but I don't know what God was doing. It still makes no sense to me. I want you to know that even if it doesn't make sense, cling to God and just trust this truth. that He's going to work it out according to his plan that is good and loving. Remember, you love God because he first loved you. And so while struggles are pressing in, and even if they don't make sense, God is working it out. Paul says that God wants to conform us to the image of Jesus in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. That idea of firstborn comes with the firstborn child in that culture, of course, was the one who received the inheritance. It was the the preeminent child who received the benefits of the family. And in like manner, Jesus is the first from the dead to rise into glory, and we now conform to him, his his preeminent self, like our, our God has willed that we would look like him. But there's so much more that God is doing here, church, because this is where the comfort in our great struggles come. Because there are a number of, uh, of big punch-packing kind of words that are stated here. If, if you notice here in verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, can you say foreknew? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then verse 30, And those whom he predestined, can you say predestined? He also called. And those whom he called, can you say called? He also justified. And those whom he justified, would you say justified? He also glorified. And will you say that last one? Glorify with me. Glorify. There are five words describing what God is doing for those whom he loves. Now, I want us to understand something because these words typically are viewed as very theological words. It's doctrine. But I want us to understand something about this, these, these words. Paul is writing to comfort people like you and people like me who are going through suffering. He's not here teaching a theology class. He's not here to have an ivory tower argument with other people who's keeping things just in their brains. Sure, we need to understand with our minds, but he's saying, look, the purpose of the teaching that I'm teaching is to affect your life. It's doctrine that's going to get you dancing. Is doctrine that's going to get you comforted. Is doctrine that's going to give you strength. I want you to know something about God, what God is doing in order for you to be strengthened even in the greatest of your sufferings. And what we see here is God has a purpose, and this is how he works it out for all whom he loves. And if you are a child of God today, these words are true for you. It says that, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Two enormous words. The foreknowledge of God brings to mind the fact that God knew you before you were you. Let me say that again. God knew you before you were you. God foreknown you way before you existed and before your parents existed, and before your parents' 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 parents existed. 
In fact, Ephesians 1 tells us that God predestines before the foundation of the world. God has known you before you were even an idea. I think of Jeremiah 1.5, where God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated, or I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God's like, Jeremiah, before you even existed, I knew who you were and I had a plan for your life. In the same way, as those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, if you've done that, you are an object of God's love and you're also one that God has known before you existed. And just as he foreknew Jeremiah, he knows you. And with that, it says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of Jesus. Now, this word predestination, man, like, I know that that's, that's a one-inch punch, right? It's packed with a lot. There, there are a couple types of predestination that, that this passage and another would speak of. In Ephesians 1, it says that we have been, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus have been predestined for adoption, which means that before eternity before, before we began, before the foundations of the world, God has chosen you to be his child based on nothing that you had done. And not only that, he's also predestined or chosen that you would conform to look like Jesus. Now, I know that with that comes so many subsequent questions, right? But let's not lose track of what Paul is trying to say here. What he's saying is God foreknew you and he predestined or he chose you to conform to Jesus. God did it based on nothing you have done. It's not like God looked down the telescope of eternity. He saw you. He's like, oh, man, man, in 2017, that person was going to do a really good deed. You know what? Let me choose that person and save them from their sins. But instead, God looks at all of humanity and knows that us, by our sin nature, have rejected and rebelled against him. But in his kindness and wisdom, which we don't understand, he would choose some of us to become part of his family. And he would bring us in close to him. And he would work out good in our lives as objects of his affection. Those whom he foreknown, he's also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those who predestined, verse 30, he has also called. He has called us. Yes, God has called all peoples through creation. Like, we could look to the mountains, we could look at stars, we could look at clouds and say, there must be a God out there. And in a sense, God is calling, like, hey, I'm out here. But that's different then God calling us when we hear that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to give us victory over sin, death, and Satan. And even hearing that calling is still even more different than us when we hear God's calling saying, believe in me. And he moves us to faith and repentance. This God is doing this work. He's working out his purpose and what we're seeing here is actually this purpose that's working out is setting off a golden chain reaction, church. Because we who are foreknown, we've been predestined. We are predestined, we're also called. We are called, we're also justified, he says. Which means we were declared right before God. Though we are guilty, Christ's righteousness covers me. Though my sin has handcuffed me, Jesus has robed me with his perfection. Though I'm broken, frail, and faulty, Christ is perfect and stands in the gap for me. We have been declared right, though we are sinful, all because of Jesus. And those whom he has justified, what does he ultimately do here? He has 
What does it say? Glorify. Can you say glorify with me wherever you're at? Notice the tense of this word. He didn't say those whom he justified, he will also glorify. But that those whom he justified, he has also glorified. This word glorified is in a tense that gives the idea of something that's already taken place. It is so sure that it could be, also, uh, it could be said as have already happened. Now look, man. I know you guys aren't glorified. I know you know that I am not glorified. I know you all sinned this morning. And I know you're going to sin this afternoon. Some of y'all probably thinking some real sinful things right now as I'm preaching. We are not glorified. These bodies are broken. The pain we feel is real. We're living between pain and paradise. But listen here. This golden chain reaction that God has set off for all of his children means that just as sure as God knew you before the foundation of the world, so also God will glorify you one day. Each are as sure as the other. So no matter which chain you grab onto, no matter what truth you grab onto here, all the others come with it. So watch what Paul is doing, man. This is so good. Watch what he's doing here. Do you love God? If you love God, you only love God because he first loved you. And because he first loved you, he foreknew you before this earth. He also predestined you to conform like Jesus. He called you in such a way that you responded by his grace. He also declares you right because of that response. And he will also glorify you one day. And so you hold on to any one of those links and everything comes with it. And so when Paul says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, we can be sure that just as God will glorify us, has glorified us, he will work out our pain for good. Just as sure as you are saved from your sins, you could be confident that God will take even the greatest of pain and cause something redemptive to come from it. Ultimately, what we long for is that glorification. We are perfectly conformed to Jesus. As I read, one person said this, glorification ensures that believers will never again experience bodily decay, death, or illness, and will never again struggle with sin. That's our ultimate outcome as those who've been loved by God. And he is working us through this journey with that goal in mind. All things work together for good. And if you can count on one link of what's been said, you can rest in all of them. Because our God is consistent. Church family, we live, we live between the already and the not yet. Between pain and paradise. And like I said, man, I don't know the hardships you've all gone through. But God knows it. And God is working out good in your life for his glory. Because he wills that his goodness will get the final word. He wills to mold you like Jesus. 
And his purpose for your life is to set off this golden chain reaction that will give you strength no matter what comes your way. See, Romans 8.28 is not just a pill you take and feel better in the morning. But it is a truth that has been declared that transforms your mind to trust God. You know, several years ago when our daughter was just but a, a toddler, she loved to eat chicken nuggets. And I remember one particular day, I had set up on the dining room table chicken nuggets with ketchup for her, poured the ketchup on the plate. I went away to the next room, and then a few minutes later, I hear, or a few moments later, I hear her saying, I'm done. Can I have some more? And I was like, this kid ate them chicken nuggets real quick. I went back into the dining room, and what I see on her plate is all the chicken nuggets, but no ketchup. And I was like, no, no, this is not the way it works, kid. You got to use the ketchup for the nuggets. And so when I think about that example, what so often happens is we, we want some certain, like, feel-good kind of things, but must understand that there's meat to be digested in the truths of God's Word. That there is a substance that we've got to understand to enjoy ultimately what God would have. And I'm sorry if you're a vegetarian. The same is true with broccoli, I'm sure. You chow broccoli, I don't know, celery. But, but this, is, this is what God wants us to understand. Theology, church, is not meant just to be some heady idea that we debate with other people. That's a misuse of doctrine. Theology is meant, according even here to Romans 8, to bring comfort to those who are afflicted, to encourage those who are downcast, to strengthen those who are weak, to get people moving with the mission of God. So when we read of these passages, let's devour the substance, not just the catch-up, the feel-good stuff, but the substance and say, God, I want you then to inform my mind in a way that brings comfort to my soul and gets me moving, the kind of doctrine that gets me dancing for your glory. That's where the power of the one-inch punch comes in. That's why it has so much force it exerts. God packs it in here for us, for us then to find rest and comfort and believe and understand that God will work it out for those who love him. So do you love God? If so, rest in the fact that he is good. According to his good will, he's working something out. And like I said, I don't say that lightly. But I can't say that confidently, church. That God is working it out. If it doesn't make sense right now, just trust him that he's working it out. That he's doing something that could not be done otherwise. And God is so good to walk us through that. Church family, as we live between the already and the not yet, just trust that God is good and he's going to hold you through no matter what, no matter what comes your way. Let's pray. Mighty God, we don't want to just pop in Romans 8.28 thinking like everything's going to get better instantly. But Lord, we do want to marinate in Romans 8.28-30 and say, Lord, would you comfort us? Would you uh, mold our minds into Jesus to understand your goodness, to trust your plan, to rest in your will?
Oh, Lord, I ask that you would just take each of our hearts for those who know you right now, Lord, and cause us to trust you, to, to hold on to you, my Lord. Father, for any who are watching online, who are here in person, who have yet to really put their full confidence and faith and trust in Jesus, Father, I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender their, raise their white flags, surrender their lives, and ask your forgiveness and receive Jesus as their Savior. God, I pray that you would do this. Be glorified, I ask you, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, church, as we close here in this final song, would you stand with me here, wherever you're at? We're going to sing a song that reminds us of what God has done throughout history. Maybe reminds you of what God has done in your life. And let it become a prayer to trust Him. God, as you've done it before, would you do it again? So let's, let's sing together. God, we know that for us this week, there are things that we don't know about coming our way. Over the next month, even the year ahead, Lord, and we want to just trust you, God. We want to believe and know that we know, know that you're working together for those who love you good. And so, God, we trust you. We trust you. We rest in you. Help us, Lord, when we don't understand. Be glorified in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a quick reminder, church family, about the Brook Kids video. Make sure your child, those watching online, that you guys do it. It's about 13 minutes long. It's going to be great. With that, I want to leave you with this blessing from God's word in Isaiah 43.1, which says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God bless you, church family. We'll see you all next week.